Welcome to 49. My name is Judd Devermont. I'm the director of the Africa program at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. I was the National Intelligence Officer for Africa and worked at the National Security Council. And I'm Nicole Willett. I'm Chief of Staff at the Open Society Foundations. And like Judd, I served at the National Security Council. I also served at the U.S. State Department and at the Foreign Relations Committee, all with a focus on Africa. This podcast has everything you need to know about U.S. policy towards Sub-Saharan Africa. What happened in the past? What should the Biden administration do? Plus, we deliver the goods in 15 minutes or less, one country at a time. This episode is about Togo, and we are joined by Desiree Asobavi, Francophone Africa Director at the One Campaign. Nicole, can you give us just a short history of U.S. policy towards Togo? U.S. interests in post-independence Togo were described as rather modest, primarily about U.S. development assistance. The number of Peace Corps volunteers in those early years grew to over 100 because Secretary in Guinea threw out the volunteers based in his country. The first president, Silvanus Olympio, hit it off with President Kennedy during his visit in 1962. He even convinced JFK to increase Togo's development assistance. Olympio, however, was murdered in 1963. He was attacked in his home, which was next to the U.S. Embassy, and the president apparently crawled over to the embassy compound before his assassins finally killed him. Despite warm U.S. feelings toward Olympio, U.S. diplomats worked closely with his immediate successor, Nicholas Granitsky, and then in Singbe, Ayadema, who had been responsible for Olympio's murder. In fact, many U.S. officials lauded the country's stability compared to the rest of the neighborhood. Several called it the Switzerland of Africa, which seems incongruent with Adeyema's first four decades of autocratic rule. Like in many other African countries, the U.S. focus was on votes in the U.N. and checking U.S. adversaries, including the North Koreans, which were active in the country. They also pressed Adeyema to condemn Gaddafi's adventurism in Chad in the 1980s, which he did. That said, the Togolese sometimes bristled at how the U.S. policy towards Africa was mainly about South Africa and Rhodesia. As the Cold War ended, the United States, in partnership with France and Germany, pressed Adeyema to embrace democracy. They urged him to permit a sovereign national conference and intervened when there was a stalemate between Ayodema and the opposition. The country, however, didn't become anything close to a democracy, and Ayodema finally died in 2005, setting the stage for his son, Fornasingbe, to take over. Since President Four has been in power, the United States has episodically weighed in on term limits, media crackdowns, and countrywide protests, but its interests have centered on Togo as a transportation hub, with the Millennial Challenge Corporation Port Project, a regional airline, ASKY, and a newish airport. It has also increasingly looked to Togo to lead in the response to West African insecurity and the growing extremism threat. Dad, do you want to talk about a major U.S. success or policy failure? Yeah, this is one that uh, started just when I uh, became an analyst, but this was when uh, President Nasingbe died in 2005. And what happened is uh, the powers that be tried to install his son for right away. And I think this is really important as we think about what's happened in Chad recently. But the region, ECOWAS, President Abbasanjo of Nigeria, and with U.S. support, made sure that that transition was constitutional. And four 
had to relinquish control of the presidency and wait until an election before he could take power. So the result was the same, but I think it's an important example of how the U.S. can reinforce strong democratic norms led by the regional bodies and key partners to make sure that presidents uh, or their cronies don't install sons uh, in an unconstitutional way. So Desiree, what should be the Biden strategy towards Togo? I would say first that the Biden administration could offer a strong partnership for the implementation of the Togolese National Development Plan. The plan aiming to structurally transform the economy of the country. And I will particularly insist on the job creation side of it, using, for example, agriculture, agro-industry, agro-food to make it happen. Now, given the rising youth population in, in Togo, and the state of the unemployment and underemployment, which is now over 25%, the agriculture sectors offer the greatest potentiality uh, for alleviating extreme poverty in Togo. And this is a sector that needs a strong financial and technical push at the moment. Togo has a youth employment challenge, which is particularly acute in rural areas because uh, sustainable and decent employment opportunity for young people are very limited and poverty rate is very, very high. These interventions, for example, will be very important because it will participate in accelerating the demographic dividend in the country. And you know, the country is now over 60% of youth population. While this is equally true for most African countries, it is particularly crucial in this moment when extremist groups are targeting young population to advance terrorism. And because of unemployment and uh, difficult economic situation, young people in the regions are particularly vulnerable. And those extremist groups currently operating in the Sahel will be surely coming down towards the coastal countries, including Togo, Benin, Cote d'Ivoire, Ghana, Nigeria. So there is a wide consent over the idea of the casual relationship between socioeconomic marginalization and violent extremism. A number of recent studies have confirmed this, especially in the Sahel case. So I will be strong on job creation using agriculture and modern agriculture. The agro-food industry is poorly developed in Togo. It is characterized by a very small-scale processing of agriculture products, which is provided by small, very small units with uh, limited capacity. And beyond that, the, the quality standard of the product are not competitive at all. Now, currently in Togo, agriculture products are mostly exported in their raw state. So there's no capacity to create wealth and job using agriculture. Therefore, any effort from the Biden administrations in this direction will receive a huge support not only because it is one of the priorities of the National Development Plan, but also I think it is consistent with the U.S. assistance program on food security around the world. This is definitely an area where the Biden administration could make an important impact on the life of young people. Okay, Nicole, 
how do we make this happen? And I would just point out that Desiree didn't talk a real, about the democracy and governance sort of dimensions here too, which uh, we want to incorporate in our conversation. So what do you think the interagency needs to do to make this happen? You know, I think Desiree was really clear about what some of the challenges are. And I think in some ways, Togo, because it has the full breadth of issues that we talk about a lot when we think about Africa-wide policy, uh, things like the need for job creation, for economic transformation, for giving alternatives to extreme violence for a really large youth population and countering high poverty. I mean, these are pretty familiar basket of challenges. And I think one of the things that's going to be most important, particularly when you add in the lens of democracy and rights, how to really stabilize and support civil society to grow, we're looking at a real need for an interagency effort, right? Because this crosses the full spectrum of security issues in, in DOD and beyond in USAID for some of that fundamental development support. But then we're really getting into commerce and some of our, our agencies that are focused on uh, commercial and economic development, particularly uh, around investment, to really think about how you get at this wealth creation that Desiree raised. And so, you know, I think one of the really important things to do is to not ignore a country like Togo, where we might have less focus until we have a bigger problem, right? We sort of ignore it at our peril until, to Desiree's point, you suddenly wake up one day and have this kind of violence. We've seen this story before in so many different places, including in Mali and in, including in Mozambique of late. So I do think the moment to get the interagency together, stress how important the challenges are and how in line they are with our ultimate goals, to really drive the interagency to have a broader policy is going to be really important here. I will say, you know, one of the things you really notice as a policymaker in the United States is the number of times that commerce is not at the table when we're talking about some of these um, national security issues. And you wouldn't see that, I don't think, in, say, the case in China or in some other nations. And so I think it's really important when we look at how to address some of the systemic challenges we have around poverty and security and democracy and governance to be able to bring in every player in the interagency, the table and force folks to focus on a place like Togo, which might not always be high on the radar, because otherwise they're going to have to focus on it later and it's going to be a lot worse. So Desiree, do you have one big idea or a crazy idea, could be both, to put on the table when you think about Togo's future and U.S. policy? I will say that first, because Togo is a relatively small country in the region. So what I raised because in terms of creating job can be used by the Biden administrations as a pilot case to boost youth employment by investing big money in agriculture and, and bringing investor and so on. This can be done in two ways. Huh? First, commercial engage engagement with a heavy investment. Then on second round, we can talk about increasing the aid package, targeting local initiative in agro-industry. I have an additional idea if I am given a chance to put a second idea on the table for the Biden administration. Uh, it's going to be more regional in a scope but will obviously impact Togo. So the Biden administration 
should come stronger on transparency around natural resource exploitation in the region, tackling the issue of the illicit financial flow, for example. The United States is now lagging behind European partners on this matter, especially in terms of legislations, you know, so to tackle those illegal flow of money out of the continent. Now, if this intervention happens, the resources generated by reducing the flow of Capitals uh, running away could be used to boost development, create jobs, ensure universal healthcare, etc. You know, every year about 89 billion US dollars leave the continent in the form of illicit financial flow. These are movement of money and assets across borders that are illegal in source, transfer, or use. It includes, for example, illicit capital getting out of the continent, tax and commercial practices like wrong invoicing of trade, shipment, and criminal activity such as illegal market, corruption, or theft. Part of this money go to tax havens that nobody controls, but part of this go to normal countries, including the United States. And the shocking fact in that is that billions, the billions lost annually through those flow are almost equal to the official development assistance and the foreign direct investment altogether that those countries receive from Western partners. So these are missed development opportunity for our country. So two big ideas on the table, invest B to promote agriculture and create jobs for the young populations and stand up in terms of legislation to tackle the illicit financial flow that are getting out of the continent and that could become real money to invest to boost development. I think that's really helpful, Desiree. Thank you for sharing that. You know, Nicole, when when we talked about Burkina Faso, we talked about how their bureaucrats were so effective, right? A cut above, we heard. Uh, That's actually true for the Togolese as well. They're very good at implementing projects. I would just say is don't put Togo in a bad category, a good category. We have to have strong conversations with President Nasingbe about the democracy issues, but we also have these other interests around commerce, around regional security, and we can walk and chew gum. At least that's my, my two cents. Desiree, I'm going to ask you a very particular Judd problem, which is searching on Google for Togo is a nightmare. All I get all the time are restaurant takeaway orders. Don't get Togolese news. So what's the trick? How do you get your daily feed of Togo news without getting the latest special from Domino's? I would suggest a variety of sources. And, you know, because of the highly polarizations of the political environment, it is important maybe to diversify your sources if you want to get information out of the country. So I would suggest uh, the following uh, sources, not in any particular order. The first one is togobreakingnews.info. This will give you general information and news uh, of all sorts. The other one that I would suggest is called isilome.com. This also is a general information site. Now, the other one is republicoftogo.com. This one is a pro-governmental information sources, but there you can find some important information as well. And the last one is togofirst.com. Togofirst.com is very recent, but it looks like business environment site information and it show you tapes on how to invest in the country, for example. Those are the four Uh, sources that I would recommend if you want to know more about Togo regularly. 
Well, that's the show. Please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and check out our analysis at csis.org backslash Africa. Thanks.